Please be advised that in order to foster quality discussions in each episode, we will spoil the stories in each game and text we talk about. Good news is, 90% of the titles we cover are old enough that many of you might already know all about them. That said, we do encourage you to play and read before listening. Caleb got some publications. Yes, I do. You want to talk about my mouth fart? (laughs) (laughs) I would, but I'm not allowed. (laughs) Oh, you're not allowed to talk about them yet. They said in my acceptances I can't announce anything until they're released. Of course, by the time this episode's released, they might be out. But I will say this. One of them is a print book, and one of them is a pretty... Big, not a publication per se, but it's a pretty big deal uh, if you're a horror podcast listener. Mm-hmm. That's all I can say. Can you say that you earned anything? $125 for my one story. <laughs> and if you've, been, if you've been listening so far, we were just talking about this on the Blackmailers Don't Shoot episode that Raymond Chandler made 180 bucks for that one uh, story he wrote, which is like an inordinate amount of money today to make for a story. And he didn't make 180, but 125. I've never made anything. That's not too bad for 3,000 words. Yeah. So that's pretty awesome. I'm excited. Yeah. And you're hitting your goals? Getting my goals and I'm hitting them. What were your goals? I wanted to get 10 acceptances this year. I wanted to get a print book and I wanted to get paid. Obviously, the most important ones to me were a print publication and to get paid. My I can't say my print public my print public fucking say the word my print publication is going to drop October twentieth. I can't say the date. I just can't say what it is just yet. But it's an anthology that I am involved in, which is exciting. The other one that I got paid for big bucks. I uh, I'm not allowed to announce that because they have uh, two million listeners a month, and they actually have like a strict. I don't know, a process of what they do with their production and everything. I'm not getting involved. I'm just giving them the story that they pay me good money for. Let's be honest. By the time this, this episode actually goes up, this is you're, you're going to have long been... Maybe. Maybe. I don't know how long it takes with that. <laughs> Two million listeners Well, a month. That's a lot of uh, stories probably getting submitted to them. I don't know. Well, let's say if it's up by the time this one goes up. Then I'll just I'll just add it in at the end or at the beginning. Okay, that works. That way everyone knows. Everyone will know, and maybe, then Caleb will be famous. Yeah, maybe we'll talk about it again in a, in a later episode too. My goals for the year. Yes. My goals. I had a rejection goal of 100 rejections by the end of the year, from January 1st to December 31st. And today is July 15th. And I have 79 rejections already. <laughs> you are getting there. I'm doing good. I'm pretty close to that number myself. If anyone's unfamiliar, uh, I found this on the internet. People recommend uh, having a rejection goal for yourself so that way you're keeping up with your submissions if you're a writer. And uh, you're, you're getting yourself out there as much as possible because you're always going to get a lot of rejections no matter who you are. And 
you're, you might get a lot of rejections, but you're increasing your chances of getting accepted too. And I've also gotten, I didn't even have an acceptance goal, but I've gotten uh, something like 16 individual poems published this year. I don't know how many actual acceptances it is, but that's how many poems it was. Plus, I have a, a book coming out next year, next September. That's exciting. Yeah. So I don't know I don't know a whole lot about it. I'll get some royalties, I don't think very much, but I'll talk about it later on when I get uh when it starts getting more real. Mm-hmm. But it's been a good year for already for uh for writing. You know, well I only started writing again uh February last year and I feel like I'm getting places. And it's, I've only started really submitting since October of last year. Yeah. So that's pretty good progress for us, I think. Yeah. Pretty awesome. Yeah. I said, I said, I got an acceptance earlier this year where it it, it came with uh, with doing a public reading with all the other people who were accepted into this collection. It's like anthology for the location for the yeah. Well, they do like a you can announce it. You it's been long done. Well, okay, I wasn't even thinking about it. <laughs> I, it's called Pennsylvania Bards uh, Western PA Poetry Review. It's an anthology. It's an annual anthology, but they do like regions of Pennsylvania because we're from. Uh, we we're in Pittsburgh, uh, so mine was Western PA. But they do they do like other regions of Pennsylvania as well, and I think they're actually from like New York or something. I don't. They might be. They might do it all over the place, but they do. Yeah, they regions. do other states because I got some of the collections. Oh yeah, that's there. right. That's right. Yeah, I got them too. But yeah, that one was that one was exciting for me because I haven't I've had trouble finding places that do uh, poetry readings, and I, I've been wanting to go to them, but uh, because of old like restrictions and stuff, I didn't really want to. I didn't want to experience it that way. And so uh, I haven't been able... And there's just not that many options to begin with. So uh, that was my first real opportunity to go to a reading since, like, college. And I always like going to the... I like I like reading my work. So it was, an, it was a fun opportunity. But I was excited from that one. That that one got me excited for the year. I felt like if I'm, if I'm getting into an annual anthology, it's only published once a year, that's pretty good news. And if I'm getting to read my work in front of people, that's pretty cool, too. So yeah, that's exciting. Started setting me up for getting eager for the rest of the year. So hopefully, I mean, I'm I'm already I surpassed. I mean, I'm getting a book acceptance is awesome, but it's a chat book, but it's something. It's getting started, so I'm feeling good. Making the correct moves. Yeah, positive progress. You feeling good? I would feel better if you stopped breathing into the microphone <laughs> loudly. I didn't realize I was. I thought I was doing good actually. Not at all. No. No. Oh man! <laughs> no, you'll hear that. <laughs> Damn! All right, you did good last episode. If it makes you feel better, well, now I'm trying not to make the, not to make the uh, chair squeak, so I'm in a different position. Yeah, you're sitting on an old wicker basket, so now you're just. I gotta go like this, maybe. And then the phone's then over here. <laughs> Bryce is having problems on his end. Ugh. I'm good over here. I'm professional, so whatever. I'm doing this a long time now. So, Bryce, what are we doing now? Welcome to Arcade Bookshop, where we talk about video games and their literary counterparts for all of you who love to play and to read. I'm Bryce, and I'm here with my pal and cousin-in-law, Caleb James. Today, we're talking about American Gods by Neil Gaiman, which we thought paired well with Final Fantasy IX from last week. And why did we choose this book? We chose this book because I was playing Final Fantasy IX, and I was reading American Gods, and I was like, hey, these two go together. Yeah, and I just <laughs> like American Gods. It's just, it's such a good book in general, 
And I never knew that Neil Gaiman was even... Did I say Neil Gaiman last time? You did. I was going to correct you, but I just let you go. <laughs> and then I said it the right way. I was like, wait, I, yeah. I used to say... I always read it Neil Gaiman, and now it's... now that I've been You know why it. you said that? Because you're thinking of Ninja Gaiden, and a lot of people pronounce it Ninja Gaiden, or, which is incorrect. Or Neil Diamond. Neil Diamond. Well, nobody says Neil Damon. No, but Diamond is pronounced like Gaiman, which is incorrect. Yes. I was trying to bring it back to the video games. <laughs> Neil Gaiman. I didn't know he was a uh, like a quality writer. Like I always equated him with like Stephen King, which I mean, in some respects, he is kind of like him, I guess. But popularity-wise, like, you mean? Yeah, and like sort of. I don't know. Yeah, I guess so. Um. He, but he, uh, for some reason, his name in my head always equated with like one of those guys who just writes tons and tons of books, and it's not like it's not like it's a, lot, a, lot, a lot of the times it's just like pulpy, I guess. What do they call those supermarket books where you, they're at the yeah. racks at the end of the cashier, the registers? Yeah. So for some reason, I always equated him with that. But he has like he's like legit, and I and he's too legit to quit. Uh huh. <laughs> one of your your one of your recent DPW episodes, you were talking about how he might be the oh it was your Cormac McCarthy episode and you you said he might even be I mean your in your opinion he might even be one of the we were discussing the who takes the places uh the greatest living author and I proposed that Neil Gaiman might take that claim because of popularity uh quality of writing the amount of consistent good work and the amount of work he puts out yeah you should listen to that episode if you haven't yet it's pretty good that is the drunken pen writing podcast you can mm-hmm. check that out on any application that has podcast yeah and youtube dpw podcast so also we chose this book and i thought that it would pair with final fantasy because they have some themes that uh they're like distant relatives in surprising ways uh, which we went into a decent amount with final fantasy 9 last week and we will uh, elaborate more on the American Gods pers- uh, aspect of it today. Um, and the main one, obviously, is the use of gods as the major plot elements, which are in this story they're all actually like characters in the in the story. We'll start off with a synopsis of the book. It's a long book. It's like 500 pages. You're better at summarizing this stuff. I can read the back of the book to start. There you go. All right. I have it with me, so I can actually do that. It's probably a good idea for every episode. Probably. (laughs) Get the professional (laughs) synopsis that they want the reader to know. I do like to run down the story. I like to spoil it for the episode. I I, I mean, I hope that, I don't know, I I hope that people are following along and and, uh, like reading and playing along and uh, also reading. So I like to talk about what actually happens. And just so everyone remembers the details of the the full story, like the full outline, and actually spoil it. But anyway, uh, per the back of my book, it says, Released from prison, Shadow finds his world turned upside down. His wife has been killed, a stranger offers him a job, and Shadow, with nothing to lose, accepts. But a storm is coming. Beneath the placid surface of everyday life, a war is being fought, and the prize is the very soul of America. That's basically it. <laughs> Sorry, I'm drinking my delicious America Paloma. Actually, it's just a Motel Paloma beer by Victory. And you're drinking a delicious American-esque peach beer by Rivertown, I believe. 
Poolside Peaches Peach Lager by Rivertown. I like how the the drunken pen writing podcast drinking kind of bled over into your show. <laughs> it's like we're always drinking when we're on here, but I always have delicious beers. Last episode we did pickle beers. This yeah. one we're doing. I'm doing a grapefruit Paloma. You're doing a delicious peach. And uh, I mean, you only have the beers because you work yeah. at a beer distributor. But both I do. But both are summertime. <laughs> they are. They are summer as beers. It- and what's more summer than America? Is this know. one a a Pittsburgh one? Yeah, Rivertown is, I believe. Yeah, local. I just noticed it said it said PGH on it. That's the river for you. Export PA. So, Mr. Neil Gaiman wrote American Gods, a series set in the United States, which is interesting as he is a British fellow, and the sequel, uh, Anansi Boys, is set in England originally, and then the story progresses. I think they go over to the U.S. to continue the American Gods sequel, but. Mm. We're not we're not talking about a Nancy boys. We're talking about American gods, and it is a fun trek through the United States. I believe he goes to Minnesota at one point, where he's in this frozen town. Yeah. It's very cold, and the description he uses for this guy walking through this cold town is one of the best I've ever heard somebody describe what it's like to get really cold. Uh, but it, it's a very interesting book because. While Neil Gaiman often implements mythology into his work, this one is a direct influence of mythology. He meets a character. Uh, well, one, he his mentor in prison is a guy named Loki something or other, and obviously Loki's the easiest yeah. giveaway ever. Yeah, his name is spelled L-O-W-K-E-Y. Like but it's Loki. very obvious. I mean, I it actually, wasn't when I read it. I, I didn't was, get it either. I was going to say, I didn't even pick up on that. I thought it was like a nickname because he does, you know, Loki. Well, yeah, he, you know, because he teaches a magic and stuff, right? Yeah. I think, so you think, I oh, think he's so. just tricky. That's why they call him Loki. No, because he's the trickster god. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then he meets Mr. Wednesday, becomes his bodyguard. And, oh, big spoiler, Mr. Wednesday is Odin the Allfather. Uh, so you get all these mythological people involved in all the mythological gods involved in this story. And the basic synopsis actually is that, uh, over time, these gods have lost their powers because they lost their followers. And in the United States, what do we worship? Celebrities, news, media. These are the new gods. Uh, these are the American gods and the old gods are not powerless, but they have lost a lot of their power because of the way that we don't worship th- worship them any longer. So they kind of want, you know, Odin wants to get his power back. Like all these gods, they want their they want to be on top again, you know. But how they do that? Well, that's that's another matter. Uh but Shadow ends up his his bodyguard and by the end it, it gets pretty convoluted about like he's basically tricked by Loki and Odin to do their bidding or something, but there's also a part at the beginning where Shadow's wife dies in a car accident, and here's the kick in the nuts. She was in the car with his best friend, because they were lovers. They were. And then he receives from another god, uh, Shadow receives a coin, I forget the name of the coin, but he throws it in her grave, and then more mythology, because it's not just the gods that are about the mythology, that come up in this book, but just different myths in general. So because he threw that coin in there, this magical coin, his wife's corpse comes back and helps him throughout the book, which is a very interesting dynamic throughout. What part of, I actually didn't think about that. What part of mythology is that? Um, I wasn't, I don't know exactly what the origin of that one is, but 
the way I was thinking of it, maybe was like, you know, in the river sticks, you, you could pay the coin for the ferryman to get across. There's also the myth of you put the coins on the eyes. So they have the coins for the ferryman. I thought maybe it was something along oh. those lines. It's not explicitly stated what the, none of these are very, uh, these are the ones you just look into basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, because like when he's in the town where everything's cold, he, he comes across to one of the gods who is sacrificing children by this town has this fun, fun, quote unquote, little uh, yearly thing where and it's not like a festival, but they put an old car on a frozen lake and then over the winter, the lake freezes and then it unfreezes and the car falls down and everybody celebrates. What they don't know is because every year they have missing kids. He's, he, the God sacrifices one of the kids by putting the kids in the trunk. That's probably something from mythology that yeah, I, I'm not sure. Be. It's just things like that. You have to look, you would have to look up, but. Uh, I'm sure the the thing with the coin and throwing it in the wife's grave and her coming back and I actually I read something there was actually a name for that it's not just like a reanimated corpse like she had a name for that or I mean they had a name for her coming back and I I can't remember what it is but uh so that that's definitely from something mm. and then but then she like helps him throughout and then it also ends with uh finally uh, I believe he accepts, you know, okay, she cheated on me and stuff. I still loved her and everything. She helped me. She still loved me. Takes the coin back, and then she reverts to being dead again, which is like a very interesting dynamic, though, is your dead wife who cheated on you, and, like, you're mending it, and she's helping you, and it's just it's <laughs> why you're on the sprawling adventure across the U.S. There's so much. Yeah, that was. There's so much is involved in this story, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's I so well-written, too. I didn't expect uh, his wife's name is Laura. I didn't expect her to be like throughout the entire story. That no. was really weird. And uh, at the end, I was I was confused, and um, I fully expected because they kind of they kind of alluded to it the whole story that they would bring her back. Like the the whole goal was to like find a way to bring her back to life. But I thought like that's why the, I guess the theme of that is letting go. And accepting your grief and loss, so that's why yeah. she just reverts back to being dead. He just accepts. Right, and the the whole like I, I we mentioned earlier off air. I the whole time I was thinking that's kind of stupid, and I can't imagine how that would work because like if she's a zombie and she's decomposing throughout the whole entire story. Yeah, basically, how is that you know how is that going to work if you bring her back? Is she going to suddenly be like revitalized? And all the, yeah. <laughs> So I was like, I I hope they don't do that. And so I was glad at the end that he didn't. He decided to yeah. actually just let her go. But even what, when he did, wasn't he like? I I think I figured it out. Didn't he like tell her that she was coming back? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, just, it's been years since I've read this. I didn't reread this. You mm-hmm. read it for the first time, but yeah. Uh, I do know that there were some interesting uh, ideas of you know, the human soul and beauty and decay with this woman because he loved her so much. Obviously, he was attracted to her. I'm sure in, when he was in prison, he was longing for her. He really loved his wife. She cheated on him. She betrayed him. Uh, so he had that to deal with. But then she comes back and she's helping him. So she still has, it's still her. It's still his soul. But could you imagine like your wife is this rotted corpse? Yeah. And you still love her, but you can't be with a rotted corpse. <laughs> You're not a rotted corpse. You can't be, it's not going to work. <laughs> So like there's this duality of like oh I love her I that goes with the pet cemetery just because you brought up Stephen King it's like oh I want her back but I can't have that that's not how yeah. it works because that goes against the cycle of life which uh, mythology often discusses is you know there's life and there's birth life and death you can't just skip one of them and you can't undo something 
So if someone dies, to bring them back is unnatural, which is what the whole her helping them and stuff with the coin, it's just unnatural that she's there in that condition. You can't bring it back, which is ultimately what happens is he accepts, okay, I can't bring you back. And she, for her part, has this longing for him and wants to do right by him since she betrayed him, and she wants to be with him. But even though she kind of tricks herself into thinking she could maybe come back i think deep down she knows i'm in the grave already it's yeah. not gonna happen yeah like she tries to get, she gets a job as a as a dead body <laughs> and she holds it for a little bit yeah and then, and they have to let her go because she just stinks she stinks bad <laughs> that's why like it wasn't like she got reanimated and then she just was you know whatever level of gross when she was no she continues to get grosser yeah like she's a decaying body she doesn't get to be like oh i'm reanimated i'm okay now no you're just a dead body with existence right it's weird <laughs> so oh i, I want to talk i want to break from this because we're going to get into the, deeper into the analysis in a little bit but since you already mentioned the car i thought i f- i fully thought that was just like a fun town thing that was gonna yeah. be, like, let go and then as soon as it came back, at like like because like after like the climax, it came back. It gets you're just so nefarious. And I was like, oh, like oh, oh shit, that's where all the dead bodies go. So all the children went. <laughs> that was such a cool way to loop back around. I like that callback. Neil Gaiman's really good at doing stuff like is that he? in his work. Yeah. And I was gonna ask like what his other stuff is like because you you did read an Andy Boys, right? Yeah, that's really good. Um, I read a lot of his work. I read Stardust, which we discussed in the last episode, his fairy tale. Um, ocean at the end of the lake or lake ocean at the end of the road i forget the name of that title i read that one uh Coraline. i read a whole bunch of his books we discussed them in the at various times on my podcast but he uh writes all his books it's still his ocean voice at the end of the lane that's it uh he writes all his books in his voice but they're all very different from what i've under like just the it's more literary how he does that because a lot of literary writers, it'll be their voice, but obviously the themes in every book are different. So it's like, oh, this is like a different kind of book versus like a Stephen King who a lot of his books, it's the story's different, but the writing and everything kind of is the same. Yeah. Like you're like, oh, you're highly aware you're reading a Stephen King book. Whereas Neil Gaiman, yes, his author voice is distinct, but his writing style changes on the needs and the uh, maturity level of the reader. So like the jo- um. The Graveyard Book is a kid's book that adults can enjoy. So it's written in a way where, uh, like 90s uh, Nickelodeon shows were, where if kids watch it, that's all they get. So if they read uh, The Graveyard Book, it's like, oh, this is, I, you know, it doesn't seem very adult. But if an adult reads it, they get all the nuances that the kids miss because, you know, they're adults. So they, both people can enjoy it, which that's a skill that a lot of writers do not possess. Yeah. A lot of writers have trouble writing for kids and adults in the same work. I didn't, I had no idea that's what that was. I, I mean, I didn't even hear of it until I read, saw the back of the book and saw how all of his other works. Incidentally, uh, also speaking of Stephen King, there's a, uh, a blurb from Joe Hill on that book back here. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> that's Stephen King's son, right? Yeah. Yeah. But if I was to recommend a second Neil Gaiman for you to read, I would read The Graveyard Book. It's really interesting. It's really good. I think you get a lot out of that one, too. Sweet. And he also wrote Coraline, if people didn't know that. And you probably do. But I actually didn't know that, I don't think, until I was started listening to Drunken Pen. Yeah, Coraline's a, another one. More aimed towards kids, but in 
like just going through adolescence, but that's one of those ones too that I think adults can take some stuff with. because when you read it as an adult, you almost uh, the parents of the book you can relate to more and how they would feel. So you actually view it completely different than how a kid mm-hmm. reads it because they're just reading from Coraline's view. You understand Coraline's feelings, but when you're an adult, now you can see it the story for what it is as an adult. It's very weird because it's like, oh man. When I read this when I was young, I just uh, related to Coraline. I understand her feelings and why she doesn't like the way life is right now. But as an adult and you read it, you're like, oh, no, I see why the parents are the way they are. And I can see how she could be maybe a little shit here. And, you know, it, it's just it's 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 a unique look at what it means to grow up and stuff. Yeah, it's actually funny you say that. I, I watched that one time when I was like 15 in high school during my digital photography class. My teacher used to just throw on movies while we were working on stuff. Yeah. And I didn't watch it again until, well, actually, I didn't watch it all the way through, but like a couple of weeks ago, I just threw it on uh, right after I finished American Gods because uh, my stepdaughter was with us and I just wanted to put something interesting on. Mm-hmm. And I, only, I watched like the first 25 minutes or so, maybe more than that, but uh, from what I watched, I specifically felt that. Like I, <laughs> I can actually... You know, I mean, I I didn't I didn't like totally relate with the parents, but you get both sides at that point. Like when yeah, you, as an adult, it's it's, it's, it's it changes. Yeah, I I actually had that thought. It was interesting. Well, it's like reading Catcher in the Rye when you're in high school, and then reading it when you're an adult and you're not angsty anymore. Yeah, and then you're just like, that. oh, this kid's just a whiny little jerk. Like you don't like <laughs> it anymore. At least I I didn't read it when I was in high school. I only read it when I was an adult, so I can't say. But a lot of people that I talked to about it, they were like, oh man. That was such a good book, but when I read it when I was older, I just I hated that kid. I was like, well, yeah, because you don't relate to the kid anymore. Yeah. Now you just I, see him as a whiny, you know, privileged kid. Right, and I only read it when I was in high school, I think. And I, I don't know if I read it for school or for fun, but I liked it. And I liked the rest of J.D. Salinger's stuff, too. But that, but all of the rest of his stuff is different than that. Yeah, it's not like that at all. Yeah. I really encourage you to read the rest of his stuff. It's... It's not the same. Maybe. Maybe one day. <laughs> Once I get the taste of Catcher in the Rye out of my mouth. When, was, when did you read that? Years read, ago. Read that. When I read that, when I read that, I was, uh, I don't know, we did it for the podcast a few years ago. Okay. Whole episode, a couple episodes on it, maybe. I think we only managed one. I don't think... I did it for an inebriated reading challenge where we get drunk and read difficult <laughs> books or challenging books. But that was one the fans wanted us to read just because I think they knew I would rage it. And I, I ended up, I wouldn't hate it. I was just like, it's, I counted every time they said the word phony in it. Mm-hmm. And I forget what the tally was. It was like 143 or something. Jeez. That's how many phonies were in that book. <laughs> Let's go back to Neil Gaiman. Let's More interesting topic. But his writing style is just like beautiful. It's like, like butter, man. It's so good. Like if you've read. <laughs> it makes you mad that you can't write wanna, like that. Yeah. Like I don't want to keep going back to this, but it's like when you read good Stephen King. Yeah. Because you just finished that, right? Did you finish it? The, the different seasons? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like when you read the good stuff that he wrote, like pro- like the, I thought The Shining was really good. Yeah. You know, Stephen King's, like, su- substance doesn't compare to, uh, or his content doesn't compare to, to this. Like, not, I don't think it even, not even in the same arena, but it's just that same kind of, like, he knows how to write colloqu- colloquially, in in each Locally. <laughs> in each character's voice, and then uh, his exposition, 
is just so natural. It's just it's like it's like he's pulling it out of your mind. It doesn't make you feel like you're reading. Yeah, it's just coming. It's it's like you're it's like you're making this up as you go as, as you read it. It's, he's one of those writers where you usually read a Neil Gaiman, you don't find yourself rereading anything. Not I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that as in sometimes you read something and it's either clunky or you don't get it right off the bat. Like his is so smooth a lot of times, like you could just do a one pass throughout a whole page and you don't you just fly through it. Like you right. go through the book so quickly. Yeah, and for the most part it was like that. And the only times I didn't feel like that were but but only because the voice changed so much. The times where, like those, you know how it's broken up, and every yeah. once in a while he he like goes back in time to like the origin of a god. Yeah, and that's like it, it almost confusing. Yeah, it for was. A second, you're like, wait, what? It's jarring. And I was waiting for it to be explained, and it never really was. But it was basically just like introducing these gods without making them like characters active in the story right away. I have his North mythology book, and I've been meaning to read it. I'm interested to see how he handles that North. Norse, North myth. It's in the North. <laughs> Norse mythology. Yeah, go Shut on. But I've been meaning to read that. I just haven't gotten to it yet. It's been on my shelf for a long time. I've been reading a lot of mythology lately, so I need to take a break eventually. I eventually want to get into it more after the after reading this. And I mean, I, there was a way back when I was really interested in like in in learning all about the different you know mytholo- mythology things i don't know what you, you talk about it but i i always wanted to get that book by i think it's by edith hamilton i had read that it was it's like the definitive thing you want to read if you want to understand all of the stories and mythology and i don't know what all it includes but there's probably something better than that at this point but i wanted to read that because so much of literature is like riddled with mythological mythological references mm-hmm. that you just can't understand like even reading this book they like like we've been talking about like there's so much that's probably in here that we don't even know well what i enjoy about neil gaiman's work and especially the american gods and more specifically anansi boys he doesn't just incorporate uh the typical greek myths the western mythology uh the norse mythology and to a degree, some of the pagan stuff from, like, you know, Ireland and Scotland, you know, the that region. Uh, he actually de- delves deeper. Like, Anansi Boys is about African mythology, mm. which, is you know, Mr. Nancy in this book is an African god. Yeah. So he brings that up. He has the Egyptian gods. Again, African gods. So you have, uh, what, Horus, and uh, I forget the other one you mentioned. Anubis. Anubis. Um, what what god is Easter? What's, what, is, that a, is that a Greek god? I don't actually know. I don't know. Or is Easter an Egyptian? I don't think Easter is an Egyptian god. But Easter resurrects Shadow because he ends up dying in this book. But mm-hmm. um, regardless, he, he does a lot of... I, he might even go into the... I don't remember specifically, but Japanese and Chinese mythology. He might do the Orient mythology in this too. Uh, I know he probably names some of the characters for sure. Because it seems like at the end he has all kinds of uh, mythological gods. But... His, in his work, though, I like that he strayed away from just straight Western. And, like, even though Odin's a main character, he still incorporated the African gods. And then the sequel's actually about the African gods more so than... Uh, I don't even know if Odin's really in that one too much. Yeah, and even when he talks about the gods in this book, 
they're the American versions yeah. of all of these foreign gods. Yeah, so which it's, I didn't even realize until I was talking to you after I finished reading it. Which is why it's kind of ridiculous because it's our Americanized version, which is not like the original. Because at the end, he meets Odin in what Iceland, I think. Yeah, at Shadow meets Odin in Iceland, Red and it's big. it's the actual All Father of or the, the origin version is like right. the original one. So he doesn't know about Mister Wednesday's exploits and stuff because Mister Wednesday is the our version of Odin, which would probably be more close to like the Marvel version or something now, yeah. not when this was written, but uh, like <laughs> it's just, it's funny because he actually was able to show the difference between the old gods and then the old gods in a new way, which is how we view them. Right. Uh, you don't get that in a lot of work. Yeah, it was really interesting. It was, I don't know. It was, it was one of the most unique books I've read in a really long time. I think I, I think I told you it might be like one of my top five or ten favorite books so far. Yeah, it's it really good. Really, really good. And one last little tidbit about Neil Gaiman. If you don't already know, he's an English writer. And in the back of my copy of the book, he has this uh, essay that he wrote. I think he wrote it for like Borders or something. Yeah, for the Borders website. But it's called How Dare You? And he's basically talking about how he was always he, that since he wrote this he's been like paranoid that someone would criticize him for writing about american gods mm-hmm. having not been not, american yeah <laughs> but i guess nobody has it actually it surprises me too you'd think someone would say something about that i thought about that because like when i read i read the uh, john steinbeck's king arthur tales it was the same thing nobody seemed to uh besmirched John Steinbeck for writing, mm. you know, the Great Britain tales. He they just okay. But I think it's because he like John Steinbeck, he did honor to the origins. Like yeah. He was uh I mean obviously this isn't faithful to the original gods, but he didn't make them ridiculous, even though it's a ridiculous book to a degree, because he made the a new American god like the Americanized versions of the gods, which shows them being a little more ridiculous, and then he still kept the origins. Like, so yeah, the original Odin was still the original Odin. He didn't change the source material, quote unquote. Right. Uh, just real quick, uh, Easter is the Assyrian and Babylonian goddess of fertility and sex. So oh. Babylonian goddess. I was actually thinking that because that's a lot of where the biblical stuff. Took yeah, place. it was yeah. adopted by Christ. You know, the Christian. Right. Uh, I don't think it's weird because we think of Easter as a holiday and the resurrection of Christ, but it's not a goddess. Yeah. We don't think of because obviously in the Christian religion, there's only one God. So we don't think of Easter as a goddess, but they adopted Easter as the I actually day never, of resurrection. Or, yeah. I actually never knew that Easter was a god. They actually call it Easter. Easter. It's spelled differently, but the goddess is uh, E. Where is it? E-O-S-T-R-E. Uh, yeah, and it was absorbed into the Christian religion, and her name was given to the Eastern holiday. Huh. Which is weird, because fertility and resurrection are not the same thing, so <laughs> I don't I don't know why, uh, yeah. I, don't know, I don't know how that came to be exactly. I'd have to study that, <laughs> research that a little, but yeah. that is interesting. I mean, to a degree it makes sense, though, because a lot of... Christianity came from, uh, which is brings up to your point about the Americanized gods because when Shadow, he uh, I forget the exact reason, but he has to. It wasn't a cross, but he's like hung up on a tree or something. Yeah, 
for nine days because Odin died or something. Yeah, he's tied like just with rope against this. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what they call the tree. They call it. It's something. in his contract that he has to do. It was in his contract with Mr. Wednesday. That's something he has to do, I guess. Yeah. Well, he ends up dying, and Easter is the one who resurrects him, brings him back. That's so we have, but then that would be the Americanized version or the Christianized version of Easter because it's mm-hmm. not the original fertility goddess. It's the bringing someone back from the dead. Yeah. So that's kind of, I didn't even look at it that way. Yeah, me either. That's uh, That's pretty cool. Yeah. Now I almost want to reread that now with this knowledge intact because when I read this I did I just went into it blind right and I I didn't even, know as much about mythology back then either yeah even if you just read like chapter like thirteen on mm-hmm. I'm sure it'd be more fun to read the whole thing but that's like when when all the big stuff happens yeah so our main topic with Final Fantasy we were talking a lot about identity and like mortality how uh, nobody in the sto- in the story of Final Fantasy knew where they came from. And some of them had uh, expiration dates on their lives. Which they didn't know about originally. Right. And everyone was just searching for themselves and, like, the right ways to live. And they were all... In in Final Fantasy, they were all kids. And there was this... this, Like, that was the undertone of uh, adventure of the story that isn't spoken, really. And I think, uh, to start this off for American Gods, I think something I love about this book is that I don't think in the whole entire book they ever actually, I don't think he ever actually reveals what Shadow's real name is. No, he does not. We know he, at the end, he is Odin's son. Right. They allude, yeah, and and in that way they like allude to what his real name would be. We just know that he's nicknamed Shadow as a boy because, I mean, I I think it's because like he was, before he like, grew up he was always like in his mother's shadow like just following his mother around and stuff like that yeah yeah and he was quiet and but if he's the son of a god how can he die well they all the gods died yeah but i thought it i thought that was just because they lost their powers kind of what wednesday was shot in the head (laughs) but that but odin still survived odin still lived the original odin that's yeah, the thing because, that was kind of confusing at the end. Because the well, Wednesday is just the American Odin. The, the American That's what I mean. Odin's. But like the original gods don't. So was Shadow just not considered an original? Was he not Odin's actual son? He was Mister Wednesday Odin's actual son. Is that how that went? Or yeah, I think so. Okay, so he was the he was an American yeah. god. Yeah. So America just make cheap shit. <laughs> yeah. Our gods don't live forever. It's interesting though when you think about it because. Well, that because the, the book touches on it, but it's the you know the memory of a god. If you forget about the god is forgotten about, do they exist anymore? Is kind of what topics you're touching on. Yeah, like I like I guess something he didn't really explicitly talk about is how because like basically these American gods only exist because people from the origins of these gods came to America, and somehow these gods became physical beings yeah we don't know how though right i don't think so i know that this um like a movie that actually handles this in a more obvious way is the movie hancock oh really yeah because once yeah because they're superheroes but they're actually like gods and then like when gods couple together they lose their powers and they can die 
Uh, so they stay apart and they forget their origins and they don't know each other. But it's when they get together, they lose their powers and stuff. Not mm-hmm. saying that's what happens in this, but it goes with the idea of if people forget about them, uh, they, I guess, lose their powers and become normal and then can die. Oh. I think that's kind of what happens here, right? Yeah. Maybe that's it. Yeah. They yeah they become like like mortal beings when they're no when they're thought about less to a certain degree or replaced by you know the new gods. Mm-hmm. Do you know what Shadow's real name is? Ishtar Uvatar Agamemnon. No. Do you know what his last name is? Shadow. I forget. No. I, see, I don't know because there was it, also it's stated. Like, it's I don't know if it is in the book. Not in the book. It was. Why did I read that it had a, he had a full name? He does. So you're gonna look it up and find it. Okay. But, but uh, I don't. I don't remember them ever actually saying it. Maybe they mentioned his last name, but I don't remember. But I, I was wondering if because I think there's like an offshoot like series of like I don't know like comics or something about this. And he also Neil Gaiman also wrote a follow up short story called The Monarch of the Glen which I didn't know about until last night, but he reveals that Shadow's first name is Balder because that's the name of Odin's son. So he doesn't get to be cool-ass Thor? No. No. I thought he was blonde, though. Well, I guess if he's Norse, he's blonde. Is he blonde? I don't know. No, because he's, like, he's, like, he's, he's like mixed. Yeah. Huh. He, has, he has black hair, I think. <clears throat> is that why everyone got mad in the show version? Because I think he's played by a black actor. <clears throat> and they were like, well, that doesn't go with Norse mythology. But then I was like, yeah, but he's mixed in the book, isn't he? Right. I don't know. I don't know anything about the series. Apparently the first season is really good, and then it shits the bed. Mm. How recent was that? Mm, 2017 to 2021, I think. I think oh, it went three real? seasons and got canceled. Oh, jeez. Why do I know so much about a show I never watched? I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, actually. Wait, isn't his name like Shadow? Yeah, Shadow Moon. Moon, yeah. That's stupid. Yeah, is he? Isn't he like part Native American or something? That's what he's mixed with. Maybe I don't. I'm not, Wouldn't I don't that remember. be the mo- Shadow Moon part? But yeah, now that you say it, uh, is Balder a different part of mythology than Thor? Um, like what is Thor? Because he's the demigod in Balder is a god in Germanic mythology, Norse mythology. He is a son of the god Odin and the goddess Frigg. And has numerous brothers, such as Thor. He's just Thor's brother. Oh, okay. And then in the book, who is Loki not also related to him? Well, Loki's adopted. He's a frost right. giant. Right. So why he's a... I don't know. And he's a, he's a trickster. Is that typical mythology or is that just in, in Marvel stuff that he's, related, that he's related to Thor? I'm pretty sure that's just the origin of Loki. I can look it up. But like... Yeah, like in in actual mythology, do they do they relate to each other like even adoptively, adoptively? Um, <laughs> let's see. He is the son of two giants who abandoned him in battle with Odin, one of the leading gods in North mythology. Yeah, he was abandoned. Okay, I read some original Norse mythology. I might have an actual collection. I don't remember. Uh, I remember a specific event, and you probably won't like this. Uh, Loki, I believe turned into a mare to hide from somebody because he could change his appearance. Uh, maybe he was hiding from Odin, Thor. Thor was always trying to beat him up because Loki was doing bad stuff. So maybe it was that. Uh, but regardless, 
a uh, stallion came by and uh, Loki was not able to change back. <laughs> and certain events unfolded as nature does. And Loki had a traumatic experience. Oh, no. <laughs> he got, uh, <laughs> he got uh, bred by a, a horsey. <laughs> He got touched with the big he got bread. horsey wee-wee. Yeah, he. Uh, I think he may actually got pregnant, too. What? If I remember correctly, the original mythology. The original mythology was ridiculous. I want to say he actually got got pregnant by a horsey, and when he's in his human form, he's all pregnant, and everyone's laughing at him. <laughs> <laughs> the gods play by different rules. Oh my God. That's not as bad as Greek mythology. Like, look at what Zeus was doing. He was knocking everybody up. Animals, yeah. cows, humans. He was the cow. Like, he didn't care. God, I'm so interested of... to read this crap. Yeah, but it's for some reason when you read it, it doesn't come off as weird as it sounds. No. Oh, really? I don't know, because it just seems like it's in character for these people to be weirdos. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I've been reading the God's versions and the uh, Iliad, and now I'm reading the Odyssey, and they're, they're toned down a lot, and it's... Uh, it's weird. It's different too. It's I don't know. It's not like the crazy zoo. I mean, it's still crazy, but it's not like the animal turning into like hawks and stuff. Zeus, who's going around molesting people. Yeah, it's not that extreme, but it's still kind of extreme. So like Shadow is sort of he's sort of like a quieter guy throughout the the book. He's also really smart though. Uh, the whole novel, he really has no clue who he really is until towards the end. Uh, or or why exactly he's I don't he doesn't have any really have any idea why he's helping one side or the other right no he's just kind of going with the, also when his wife died it threw him through like a loop and then he gets out of prison too at the same time I think yeah so he's just like aimless right Does which he, he just that's why he agreed to help right uh, Mister Wednesday because he was aimless and then it turns out Loki and Odin got together and made this big fucking why they did all this I forget but they uh. I guess because he's their son and brother or something. Yeah. I, know, I never actually really put that together because I didn't know he was Balder. Yeah, I didn't know that until last night. But, but yeah, they they planned it. Well, they planned it with... They uh, planned the accident too, didn't they? Like his wife's death? Um, They might have. I think that was all in the plan. They might have. But they planned it with the other side too, like the other, like the, the modern American gods. Yeah. Uh, which is like a total mind f by the end, because like I mean, the whole story, you don't really get why there's gonna be a war. Like I, you, yeah, I don't. I remember being confused when I read that originally. I was like, why is this happening though? Yeah, like why, why do they have to go to war? And then it turns out that they're just oh that if if the if all the gods go to war and a bunch of gods are like eliminated because they're all killing each other. Then the gods that are left are more powerful, and I think like yeah. Odin and the other god, Mister World, I think, which is also Loki. I guess, I, yeah, I guess that I forgot that. Yeah, also played by Crispin Glover in the show. Oh, really? It just he looked like a perfect casting for that. I don't know. That it's makes weird sense, looking dude. Yeah, but yeah, that was a little bit confusing, but that kind of makes sense. Uh, it, you know, that goes with the old Jet Li movie. There could only, I'm thinking of the Highlander, there only be one. But the Jet Li movie, I forget what it was, but he goes through different dimensions and kills himself in all the dimensions because he gets more powerful every time one dies. Well, that has actually nothing to do with this. I just like saying it. <laughs> but uh, Odin, you know, if he could be the only god, he would obviously be the top-powered god, you know. So I guess that's the plan, kill all the new gods. 
then it turns out that both both Loki and and Wednesday die. So what does that leave us with? Like this is Shadow like more powerful than the others because he's. It only alludes to his magic at the very end when he makes a yeah. gold coin come out of nothing. Right. And then it alludes, oh, you think, is he going to take over as a god? Is he going to be the next Odin? Mm-hmm. Well, he's talking to Odin, though, so I don't know. Maybe he's, is he the new American god? And Nancy Boys doesn't touch on that at all. It's a new character. Hmm. It's Mr. Nancy's son, and it's a whole different god set. I would be eager to read the Monarch of the Glens because it's supposed to be a direct sequel to, or a direct, you know, a direct follow yeah. up to this to this novel. Did you say that was a graphic novel? It might be. I don't know. I think it was. It might just be a short story. What's it called? The Monarch of the Glens. Yeah, or the Glen. The Monarch but. of the Glen is a best-selling blah blah, blah storytelling Game of Thrones devotes Terry Pratchett fans original. I'm just reading random words out of here. Um, that didn't help at all. Is it a book? That's all I want to know. Why can't I find out if it's a book? What's happening here? It's a novella. Novella. Oh, That's we could right. read that. Yeah, I might. I'm gonna pick that up. Yeah, <clears throat> I might just reread this series at some point. Actually, I'd like to. I. You gotta read the Nancy Boys next. Yeah, I do. The Nancy Boys. I always say well, Nancy actually, Boys. I read that novella name. next. I think. Right? A Nancy Boys. A Nancy Boys is direct. Is it directly after this? Because I thought Monarch of the Glens was directly after this. Mm. Yeah, we'll have to find that out. But we also talked about mortality last episode, which is a it's kind of a huge thing in this book because huge because even even the gods die, which I which you're kind of surprised about. I actually wasn't sure throughout most of the book what the gods were if they were actually if they were actual. Like I, I wondered if they were actual physical like human-like beings uh, interacting with the world or if there was some kind of illusion. It's strange because the gods are originally the immortal deathless ones and in right. this book they can die. Right. But again, I was confused because Odin does die, but then Odin is still alive in his original sense. So it's only the new versions die. I don't think the original gods can die. I think they are immortal. Right. It's kind of confusing it is, but you never hear from Wednesday again. Uh, no, I think he comes back in the sequel. Does he? I think so. I don't. It's been so long since well, I read it. At least in the sandbox of this story, he no. never comes back after his like last words in the book. Well, I mean, no. You know what? That's confusing because he's shot in the head. He's dead, but then he his like spirit is still around when he's when Shadow goes uh, to. Well, the way I understood it, it wasn't even like. Loki, Odin, any of the other gods, <clears throat> it's not like they were just hanging around in their original forms anyway. Weren't they just like just picked up a random body or something and that's the form they took? Maybe. Or they just, you know, had a different image? I mean, most of these gods in their actual mythology can shapeshift into different people anyway. Mm-hmm. Odin was famous for just going around with his eye patch pretending to be a beggar or whatever. And he always had the one eye, and that's how people knew it was Odin. Like, Odin, stop hanging out in the woods pretending you're someone else. You're not. <laughs> you do that all the time. Yeah, but so, like, but you know what scene I'm talking about at the end after, like, after Laura uh, shoves the spike through herself and kills her and, like, mortally wounds, mortally wounds uh, Loki, and then Loki goes back to that cave or whatever at, uh, during the war, and... Uh, and then when Shadow shows up in that cave, there's like, 
Odin. Odin's voice is there, or or Wednesday's voice. It's Odin's voice. I yeah, guess. it's Odin. But is it is it Wednesday's voice or is it Odin? Odin. I thought it was just Wednesday Odin. Right. So that's what I'm saying. Like, what that makes me think that he's still around somehow after he was murdered. I don't know. Maybe as long as they're still thought of, they can still exist in some form. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that, I remember that was one thing. I like The ending was kind of muddled for me. If there was anything I didn't like about the the book, it was the ending. I was like, what is happening exactly? I remember rereading it a couple times. Mm-hmm. Because even like the cave part, I was like, are they in a cave? What are they in exactly? What's happening here? So I remember it being kind of confusing. Because yeah, especially like Odin gets shot in the head and is dead, but then you're talking to Odin at the end of the book. I'm like, wait, why is this Odin different from the uh, Odin in America? Yeah. What is the significance of that? I never really got that clear. Yeah, and you explained that to me uh, after the fact. Yeah, because you didn't. You had the same problem I did. You're like, what right. does this mean? Right. Oh, and I forgot to talk about this in the last episode, so I want to talk about it now. And this goes for the uh, this goes towards the identity theme. At the end, for those of the, those of you who listened to the last episode, at the end of Final Fantasy IX, the um, jump rope for ten minutes. <laughs> No. There's this whole drawn out thing where uh after after Zidane realizes that he was like a creation to help preserve this other planet that's gonna destroy the souls of this new planet and all this stuff just just to preserve the old planet. After he realizes he's just like a tool and all that stuff, he goes through this uh and a little bit before that too, I think, there 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 are these parts where He's going through with the group this area that shows it shows scenes of the past, like events of the past, but only the people who are actually there in your party can actually see what's going on. And there are moments where he sees things that he doesn't remember, I think, and he doesn't understand why he can see this this event if he wasn't there. And I think it turns out that he was he was watching it from above before he came down to to Gaia. Yeah. And and then later on, the, what I was re- referring to before, um, he realizes like who he really who he really is. Like he's a creation. He wasn't like he's not human like everybody else. He wasn't he wasn't just born on Gaia and had a full life and everything like that. He he came from somewhere else. He, he's like he re- he's realizing who he is and he's like, what's the point of all this? I don't deserve anything. Blah 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 blah. And everyone ends up coming to him, being like, you know, you you are a person. Doesn't matter where you came from. We're all a team. We're all friends. This is all you know. Anyway, like that was like a a family version of what I feel like was the end of American Gods, like chapter fifteen, where he uh where he dies when he's on the tree mm-hmm. and he like he's like unconscious and he goes to all these he's talking to all the gods and he's trying to like I don't know he's going through a sequence of like trials before he dies and decides he kind of decides what his death is going to be like right yeah I just felt like that that was like a, a parallel to me it's almost like like the final fantasy one was like this is the pg version of this before before you meet your end and this in american gods this is like this is the r version where like you're dying and you have to face everything in your in your past and give up yourself and and then you go on to conclude your existence it was and it was like yeah. it was like super dark but i felt like and he has to like give up his didn't, didn't they uh yeah there was a scene i don't know who it was there was a god that made him give up his real name or something like that yeah Remember something that? like that uh was that horus that might have been 
I'm not sure, but it might have been. I can't remember what Horace's purpose was in the store, I but know. I know he was there. Get your phone out again. Oh, it's so much touching. <laughs> touching my phone a lot. But I, re- I don't know. I really loved that scene. And I think that was probably Neil Gaiman's favorite scene, too, where it's just like like Shadow is really, start really forced to understand who he is, where he came from, and what his death means, and whether or not he uh, deserves to come back. And I think he doesn't, I think he assumes he won't, but I, I just feel like he, I don't know, wouldn't you agree? It's like a whole, like, who am I and what's my purpose and do I, like, you know, do you know what I mean? The identity stuff is very prominent in both of these things. <clears throat> the main, you know, the whole who am I, it definitely plays on the do I have a bigger purpose trope. So mm-hmm. Final Fantasy, it's like these characters think they're nothing, and then it finds out, oh, Maybe I do serve a bigger purpose. Then they find out who they are. They're like, oh, maybe I'm just a piece of garbage. I got thrown out of an airplane as a baby. And then they're like, wait, maybe I do serve a bigger purpose. Shadow, he was in prison. I forget why he went to prison. Uh, he went to, did he beat up somebody? I think he was part of like a robbery or something like yeah, that. Yeah, but he went to prison and he feels like garbage. And then his wife cheats on him and dies. And he feels like trash and he doesn't know his origin, doesn't really know who he is. His name's Shadow. He doesn't even have a good name. Then he's walking, he's doing lots of walking, and he gets a gets hired to be a bodyguard, and then slowly he unravels who he is, kind of, and then he feels like maybe he's a piece of garbage that should be thrown out of an airplane, and then he comes to and realizes, oh, I'm the important part of this story, I'm the protagonist, damn it, I need to protagonist it up, I guess. <laughs> Horace was the uh, god of uh, healing and friendship, mm. and, f- and family, and there you go. Stuff. Don't know how that relates to this. I don't remember what his purpose in the story was. Probably healing. Yeah, maybe. Healing wounds of the body and the mind. Hmm. Mm. Sometimes the injuries of the mind can be worse than injuries of the body. Word. 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 So I had plans. This this edition of my book that I have, at the back of it, it has reading group discussion questions. Oh, no. Which I was going to use at length, but now that we're an hour in, I feel like I shouldn't, but I'd like to look at some of them. Okay. We actually kind of talked about some of this stuff. It's because we're smirked. We are a little bit. Like, uh, the first one is American Gods is an epic novel dealing with many big themes, including sacrifice, loyalty, betrayal, love, and faith. Which theme affected you the most strongly and why? What we identified, that identity, was a strong one. Identity, um, I don't know what one affected me most. Maybe, see, the loyalty one, I didn't, I mean, I get that she was with him the whole time and stuff, but you're just feeling bad because you, you cheated on him and then you died and he brought you back and now you're a dirty corpse. For loyalty, I, that make, I mean, I didn't think of, my first thought wasn't that, it was more like, why is Shadow so loyal to the old gods? Like, is it just because he met Wednesday on, by chance, well, by yeah, chance, quote unquote, and, and the other ones came secondary or, because like, I, that, that never really, I mean, I think it was, I think by the end, I, I get the feeling that it was like, by intuition that he felt like he should stay close to mm-hmm. his father that he didn't even know was his father. But other than that, it always felt like, why is he even doing this? Yeah, like he was just aimless and he was just, oh, it's something to do. Yeah, which was part of it too. But Shadow begins the novel as a convict and ends it in a di- ends it a different man. How does the novel exploit the idea of America as a place where immigrants and exiles, both physical and emotional, 
can reinvent themselves. What makes Shadow himself so compelling and complex? I thought that was one of the most unrealistic parts of the novel. The idea of a second chance for a convicted man. Uh, convicts in this country generally don't get second chances. Mm. They can be free and they can change their life, but often it's a very uh, there's a lot of hurdles they have to jump and it's a struggle. And I don't feel that that message was uh, accurate, though the immigrant message, I guess, could be. I get, I get that one. You know, you go to a new country to start a new life and maybe you can uh, make something better of yourself. Uh, though Neil Gaiman did do a good job of showing that Shadow wasn't just going to go work at a supermarket. Like he took a weird job. Yeah. And he was doing weird stuff, man. Uh, and he, you know, didn't necessarily hide his past, but he wasn't forthcoming with his past. And the FBI was involved in this at some point too, weren't they? Yeah, I think so. Well, <clears throat> because I think, yeah, I could be wrong, but I think it's only because of that part where Laura comes and kills those people. Those like yeah. other people are related to the other god. I think, um, oh, you know what, just a sidebar, uh, what is the moral, I, I don't know, it seems kind of ambiguous, if you're a corpse and you murder someone, is that bad? Because she still has sentience now, she's still Laura, yeah. but she's dead. Yeah, is she judged after she's already dead? Is she murder somebody in the face, does that, I mean, she did it to save somebody or help, but still, even if she just, like, even if you just straight up just murdered someone for no reason, an innocent person just lopped their head right off, does that make you a bad person? You're already dead. You're, <laughs> <laughs> I don't I know. if you're not a person, you're a, But you, if you're, know. if your soul, quote unquote, is still there. Right. I don't know. Just a moral uh, dilemma we can, uh maybe write a book about go on to the next one okay well i was just gonna say you could even argue that the only reason he uh was able to reinvent himself or get a second chance as you said you could argue that he only got that second chance because wednesday and loki manipulated it was predetermined yeah <laughs> so so it wasn't really a second chance if it was already set in stone that he, it was going to happen. It was his destiny even, to... He may not even have been released. Exactly. Yeah. American Gods is partly a road trip through small town America where Shadow can see the darker side of life that other people ignore. What does the novel say about what people will accept in order to maintain a sense of normality? I think people will ignore... Most terrible things because they don't want to disrupt their comfort. So if it's not happening directly to them, they will turn a blind eye. Uh, I remember that poetry collection I let you read by Ela Kaminsky uh, about uh, one of the, the, I think the flagship poem in that was We Were Happy During the War. It's about a war where the protagonist, their family's not involved in the war, uh, so they're actually all right. And then even though all these people are struggling, they feel some kind of guilt. It's like, well, we're having a good time. So do we feel bad or do we, we, I guess we just ignore that war, right? We're, mm. we're doing okay. It's not on our doorstep, so we should just ignore that. Well, that's kind of like the theme uh, in just a general life, really. It's like if it's not happening to me, it's not something to really worry about, which you can't worry about everything because then you'll go crazy. I think it's interesting, though, when it talks about uh, small-town America, there's only the one place, really, I mean, that he elaborates on, that, that cold place in Minnesota or whatever. Yeah, that one town. Yeah, he chooses the one town to talk about. So it only gives him one sample of the darker side of life 
from one perspective and it's kind of I mean and you can't just say that all small towns have that thing I mean every every place has something dark yeah. but well that brought up a that town brought up a interesting moral dilemma as well because you know with the children getting kidnapped and sacrificed if that's the only reason that town was surviving and thriving and I think in the end of the book, the right. sacrifices stop. I forget if he killed the god who's doing that or whatever. But once the sacrifices stopped, the town was going to crumble and be, you know, ruined. So what's the right thing to do? Let the t- the whole town of people be ruined, or sacrifice one person a year? Right. And but at the end of the day, since this is fiction, is that a question that needs to be asked? <laughs> I don't know. I, I like these moral quandaries. I just I yeah. think they're interesting. You know, what if that was something that happened for real? Like in real life. It's the old uh, train track. If you let the train run over the one guy that you, you could have saved him, but the four people on the other track, if you, or it could be vice versa, on the other track, if you pull the switch to save that the person on this track, you killed that person because that person yeah. wasn't going to get killed. You know, quandary. It's a dilemma. Right. But what real life situation are you... I don't know. Maybe I'm just being an idiot. I was going to say, what what real-life situation what, does a child have to be kidnapped and killed in order for a city to thrive? I guess it's just a metaphor. Metaphor. <laughs> it's not something that's really going to happen. I would hope not. The old gods expect sacrifice, violence, and worship. How have they adapted to the modern world? What does this say about the nature of divinity? How and why have Americans transferred their devotion to the new technological and material gods from the old spiritual gods what comment is being made about modern cultural values i don't know um the new gods are lame they're like uh reality show people i see smoking stogies and i think this one's kind of obvious yeah i don't know how you can elaborate on that one too much it's kind of i don't even feel like answering that <laughs> what <laughs> what is the significance of the illusions, cons, and magic tricks that occur throughout the novel? I'm interested in this. Uh, American Gods is a novel in which magic, myth, and the divine coexist with the normal, mundane, and human in a way that is utterly believable. How is this illusion maintained? Um, well, as far as how it's maintained, I'm not quite sure, but I do think the idea of magic, and I'm not just talking about magic as card tricks, uh, but, you know, like just the gods in general and th- things that should be impossible in the world. I think people need to have a slight belief in that uh, to get by. Um, it's not necessary, but if there's no magic, quote unquote, in the world, I do feel people tend to get a little batty and things just seem to go south. You know, that's when you start getting the kind of the world we live in now. We are living in a magicless world. Mm hmm. Like all the things that even when we were growing up, you know, you had your folklore tales of, you know, well, it's Bigfoot. Uh, the guy down the street doesn't have a face and nobody ever said like you don't have a lot of that anymore. We're so connected now that the magic of the past where things could be real or the uh, that's why we're, people are now are so obsessed about ancient cult. Maybe there's ancient civilizations that were so amazing and technologically advanced that we just don't know. We didn't start thinking about that seriously until our personal magic started to fade away. So now we need something else to hold on to. There had to be something great before us. It's the unknown that keeps us going a lot of the time. That's why we want to... Exp- mm-hmm. It's in our species, in our DNA. It's why we traveled the oceans. It's why we're trying to travel space. We have this weird urge to 
solve the unknown, find the unknown. I don't know what it is, but I do enjoy that aspect of uh, human life. It makes uh, life worth living, I think. Yeah, it's uh, makes me think of the character Marguerite in the in the Minnesota town that the neighbor who was neighbors with Shadow in his apartment, mm-hmm. and her son who was uh, I don't know like it's like five or six years old or something like that. Uh, the first time he sees her son out in public, he does a coin trick, and Marguerite is like, "Please don't do that in front of him." And then later on, it's like no big deal. It's like she like. Shadow carries some kind of like he carries some kind of air of like just you know like relax like enjoy the yeah. enjoy the mysteries in life because it's like one of the few things that make it interesting and then and it it's showing that little kid lightness in his world it's after, that sense of wonder yeah like when after, we read the Ray Bradbury something wicked this way comes a right, lot of that right. was like the sense of wonder that you feel and then adolescence and growing up you know the coming of age story takes that away from you eventually like as you grow up that sense of wonder dissipates and then eventually you're left in a magicless world like there you don't have anything fun to believe in anymore to make you know like you said just like these small lightnesses in your life that just make it more enjoyable right and they probably don't have a lot of that because the town is subsisting on death yeah like they're always preoccupied with something they're dwelling on negative things all the time and and they and like the kids probably even if they're not directly told they probably know that there's kids disappearing every year like this un- unconsciously even like they they know they get that so for feeling. them it could be them next you know right it's always weighing down on them right and like everything is like even if they don't know it everybody's on guard and they're teaching their kids to be that way too and then and she doesn't want her kid to be that way but then Shadow makes her realize that she needs to relax yeah and like that's probably one of the powers that he has somehow or something like that. And if you want to talk about the other gods too, how they maintain, how they maintain the illusion, I think the whole entire book Wednesday is doing shit we don't even know. Oh yeah, and what, also he, if I mean, he, he can, is, can he be in more places than one? Yeah, that's I a think good he question. can. It seems that way. Yeah. So uh, yeah, the, uh, we see it without seeing it that they're always maintaining the illusion just because of what they are. Yeah, they are right. an illusion. Right. All right, last one. How does the rich background description increase the power of the narrative? What do the secondary characters, particularly the gods whose lives and deaths we are given a brief insight into, add to the novel? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long time since I read it. Uh, It definitely brings out a lore that makes you want to study it more. It makes you want, like you were saying at the, early, at the beginning of the episode, I want to learn more about mythology because I read this. So you want to learn about these characters. You want to learn about their roles in the world. And it almost makes you want to reread it after no, learning that stuff so you can go back and be like, oh, yeah, I didn't even know that was a myth. You know, I didn't know mm-hmm. that was lore. I didn't know that that was a god. Like, you probably miss a lot of that in there because like, I'm sure he touches on it, but you don't, you know, as long as it's not explicit, you don't know. Right, like I wonder about the people that he meets along the way, like those that girl Sam. Yeah, if she what a, I'm like what she if she has more more significance than we know or not. Like uh, I'm trying to think of other secondary characters. Well, there's a what was it a cop that picked him up when he was walking through that town and almost froze to death. Yeah, and there he's like a no. really nice guy. I mean, right. was he something else? Did he represent so? That's another thing. It doesn't. Have, they don't have to be mythological gods or anything like that. They could just represent something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
I don't have a whole lot. To, I can't remember a lot of the secondary characters, but that I mean, you'd never get the sense that whatever you're reading is not significant. Not really, anyway. Everybody seems important. Everybody has their place. Yeah. It's interesting because while this is a sprawling, grand-scoped world, uh, it actually feels very small. It does. Because it's only... It's like looking, you know, if you you could be looking over at the ocean, but if you hold a magnifying in your glass, you're only seeing that little circle. That's kind of what this story feels like. You know there's this giant world out there that's going on around you, but you're only looking through the small lens, so you're only able to see what's in front of you. And uh, it's cool because, oh, yeah, I like you brought up the, you know, there could be multiple Lokis and stuff. I know there's something going, there's something way bigger going on, but I'm stuck just like this is where I'm at. And uh, you have to appreciate where you're at. Right. Cool. That was fun. Yeah. I like that book. Yeah. It's a good book. I probably won't ever read it again because I, tr- I have a hard time uh, reading, rereading books. But I, I'm only it's one now, that I would reread. I'm only now at the point where I'm thinking about rereading books I've read because there's so many new books I haven't read. Yeah. But I'm at finally at the point where it's like, I do want to read Lord of the Rings again. I do want to read American Gods again. Like, I'm far enough removed where I'll take something different away from these books. Right. Which that could also be attributed to me not getting serious about reading until my 20s. Yeah. Like, I always read, but I was never, you know, I didn't read American Gods when I was 10. Like, so it's not like 25 years have gone by where if I go back and reread it, it'll be different. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I only read it, like I said, what, five years ago or something. So if I reread it now, even, I'm not going to, I'm just going to be, oh, yeah, I remember that, but it's not going to be the same if I read it at 50 or 45 or something. Right. Yeah. I've always been into reading too. And I, I think this is the first. This past year is the most serious that I've been about reading, and I have a lot on my plate right now. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I've read a lot of stuff, but I don't, I've probably read, like, half what you've read, and I so I still have a lot of, like, basics to get through, and it'll be a long time before I reread this, but I super, super enjoyed it, and I recommend it to anybody. Anybody. Check it out. Read American Gods. Do yourself a favor. Mm. Read it twice. Mm. Yeah. Stay tuned for our next couple of episodes. We'll be talking about the amazing Super Nintendo game, Super Metroid. That's John Cena. That's not Metroid at all. I don't know why I did that. Which is another of my favorite games of all time. And the following week, we'll be discussing HP Lovecraft's At the Mountains of Madness. There's a lot of madness on a mountain in Antarctica. It seems that way. Just the general idea of this unexplainable mountain in Antarctica that we don't know about that's crazy high was what I like. That's like that. That was cool. I thought that was like, yeah, this is the shit. And then I read the story and I'm like, eh, could be shorter. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad I'm on chapter two and I have that to look forward to. (laughs) The book is interesting or the story is interesting, but. It could have been so much, like the manga version that I'm going to let you borrow Yeah, could be way cooler. Well, the manga book it is way it cooler. It makes it way cooler. Yeah, yeah, it makes it way cooler. It's still cool. It's just, it. if you've ever read H.P. Lovecraft. Ideas kinda, are there. The writing itself could be cooler. Yeah, like just because he, he, he did a lot of exposition and not a lot of anything else. And he was a thesaurus, I think. Right. Right. So, 
If you're enjoying the show, be sure to follow or subscribe or whatever, wherever you get your podcasts. And as soon as we establish social media presence, which might already have happened at this point, be sure to follow and watch for us there and all of our updates. You can look for our playing and reading schedule in the show notes so you can play and read along. If you have any game and book recommendations, we established an email for the show at arcadebookshop at gmail.com so you can shoot us a message there. Uh, let's for not uh, let's for not forget Caleb. Don't forget his life Caleb outside the podcast. Outside of the podcast on another podcast. Uh, oh, you... and just uh, I know I keep saying don't forget Caleb's life outside of the podcast. That's only because I don't have a life outside of the podcast. You're only the podcast. That's all I am. Yeah. I have just other podcasts. That's my life. That's an extra life. Another life goes with the video games. I got a bonus life. And go. that bonus life is the Drunken Penwriting Podcast, where we talk about fine literature, not so fine literature, uh, books, writing, reading, all that stuff. Uh, you can check it out at DPW Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. I stopped giving out the email because I kept getting people that wanted to be guests, and it started getting bothersome. Mm. Not that I don't mind having guests on the show, which we do from time to time. Uh, it just was like a lot of prep work. Like, the, oh, let's time it here. They never could do it on the day we record. So yeah. that's the main thing. You can also check out my writing at calebjamesk.com and my publication history, which is continuing to be updated on there. Uh, yeah. Cool. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. And please do yourself a favor and stick a controller in one hand and your book in the other. 